Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Hane. Today is January 17th. Uh, with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. <laughs> yeah, every week you do that. And every I don't week, do it every week. You do it every... I'm going to go listen. I think you do it every week. I do it. I've um, done it three times so far. Well, you're very clever each time. Let um, me have my dad jokes. <laughs> Let me um, have them. So we've got a really, I think, a really good episode uh, for you guys today. Uh, Laura and I have just one topic, really. I guess we're going to be doing a little... Uh, writer tip at the end, but um, our topic today is how would you build a publisher from scratch? And so what that means is that Laura and I have each taken some time. Obviously, we're even a day late here um, on getting you the episode. So we both took a lot of time to really like think about the way we would go about starting a publisher. And you know, some of it is kind of, I mean, you, you know, way in here. Some of this is kind of fantasy-based in terms of things we want. Um, me, uh, you know, I tried to spend a lot of time thinking, all right, if I had like, you know, if I was starting with not that much money and a skeleton staff, how would I get started? That sort of thing. Um, but the idea here broadly is design a publisher, you know, similar to a, a Build-A-Bear. Yes, so. <laughs> just just like that. Um, but I think we're going to get to some really interesting ideas on some, uh, certainly some ways in which we feel that publishing as currently constructed is inefficient. Um, in ways that can be improved, whether it's financially or time-wise or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think this is going to be a really fun episode. I've been jotting things all day. I'm really excited for it. Um, but before we get to that, why don't you give us some uh, some housekeeping? Hooray. All right, guys. So we're obviously getting this to you on January 18th. Well, guess what? If you're a Patreon subscriber, you get our query show tomorrow, January 19th. Oh. Um, so tune in. You can only access that through your special Patreon feed. Um, and the first pages show, watch out, is January 26th. Remember, as always, if you want to submit your query or your first page for us to critique, send them to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, Neat. That that all sounds pretty good. Um, so... Should we just get started? Let's like, just how do, do you, it. Why don't so you've got kind of an outline here on how you want to have this conversation, and we've been kind of going back and forth um, on our little Slack channel and everything about it. But um, why don't you start? Well, like, I, I think I think the most important thing is if we start with editorial vision because sure. that's the why that's and the, the what, and then we need to know the how, and that'll be all the little things. Okay. So, so why don't so then. And I think that's a point worth mentioning again in a little more detail. Um, editorial vision, I think, is something that you and I both agree is the most important thing in a publisher. Um, what are you publishing and what do you want to publish? You know, what is your brand as a public-facing book company, right? Yeah. And not all publishers have that as yeah. we've, as I mean, we've that, covered. <laughs> but even that is in itself in itself a, a brand of sorts. But I'm um, so... Laura, without further ado, yes. um, why don't you tell me about the editorial vision of Laura Press or whatever whatever it is you Laura Press. Whatever it is you're calling your little wagon over I, there. I am not great <laughs> with names. I would have I would have come up with something really clever, but I didn't, yeah. alas. Yeah. Um so my my first thought is, you know, as as agents, Eric and I both basically put together a semi-cohesive list of books that fit with our personal tastes and our personal brands, that sort of thing. So my first... This is as an agent. This is as an agent. As opposed and so, to what we're doing now, which is different. Right. But so my first my first thought when I, when I thought about, okay, what would my editorial vision of this book be was, well, the same thing I do as an agent, which uh-huh. is a lot of different types of books, but kind of the, the overarching theme is books that are feminist and books that are diverse. Okay. Um, but of course, that's not good enough for a publisher that's trying to, you know, create a brand. Well, so I, I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but what do you, when you say it's not good enough for a publisher, what do you mean? Because I think that's a point that someone might raise an eyebrow at. Well, I mean, I mean, choosing books based on like how Laura feels of bo- about certain books that are also feminist and diverse isn't quite good enough. Like, I need to have more to it than just that. <laughs> I agree. I agree that there needs to be more to it, but you would be shocked at how many publishers do it exactly that way based on whoever it is that calls the shots. Yeah. So, I mean, there is there is a lot <laughs> of, like, personal no, no, feelings. That, that's, an, that's an inefficiency that you have identified but, um, that you are going to address somehow. So, so I want to I wanna do that. Yes. Um, and I specifically want to focus on debuts and mm-hmm. debut authors and building careers. 
And because backlist backlists with successful offers authors is where the money gets made. Yeah. So I want to I want to focus on debuts. Um, and I want to really focus on not necessarily 100% own voices or diverse voices or feminist voices, although that will be a huge point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mostly want to focus on unheard voices or voices that don't normally get a fair shake in publishing. And to admit, I took that directly from Akashic books. So, <laughs> well, so that that is also a point worth mentioning, and I'm gonna, and I'm going to try to. I guess, quote unquote, cite sources where, yeah. like you just did. Like, you know, a lot of ideas that a lot of publishers are doing right now are really cool and interesting. It's like you want to take bits of this and bits of that. So I think it's great that actually that you would copy someone's, you know, one partic- one publisher's particular thing and then another person's something else. And sorry, right, so you've got sort of an acacia book feel for yeah, it. Yeah, where it's right. like where it's like authors that wouldn't normally fit anywhere else. So okay. That that kind of thing, yeah. you know, the debut unheard voices, the ones where they they won't get lost at my press. Okay, there you go. What's your editorial vision? Well, so before we get to mine, um, well, I guess we could just get to mine because it kind of stems off somewhat of a response to yours. Um, when I put this whole thing together and I started jotting this down, um, the first thing I thought of is how am I going to stay in business mm. because for me, um, that's really, a, you know, you know, you and I talk a lot about the lifestyle of being in publishing and what it's like to kind of work and be underpaid and, you know, have to deal with that kind of uncertainty. Um, the first job of a publisher is to stay in business and pay its employees, you know. And so my consideration for a lot of this was how, like, what's the most, what's the smartest way to start, like, Assuming I have some, you know, we talked about like the hypothetical angel investor. It's like assuming I have some money, but not a ton. You know, I'm not a big five house. I am me and, you know, the handful of people I'm going to outline who I've hired. And um, so to start at least, a lot of my decisions are going to be cost effective, Mm -hmm. are going to be based on, you know, sure bets. It's going to be based on trying to be a little bit. uh, What is a sure bet? Well, so. There are no sure bets in publishing, but <laughs> What's what the I, I can tell, bet? so let me tell you what I think isn't a sure bet um, in terms of me starting my press and having my first front list ever. Um, I'm not sure how I'm not going to publish very much debut fiction. Debut fiction is the perennially hardest, dif- most difficult thing to publish. Um, it's fickle. It's based entirely on a lot of things you can't control or you can't adequately control from your, you know, company's building. Um, You know, it's based on word of mouth. It's based on, you know, sort of author persona. It's based on all these things that kind of get sort of all the intangibles, you know, Mm. if you want to use that sort of like stupid sports term. Like, it's based on a lot of stuff you can't track on paper right away. I mean, you know, I've I've been in the room for so many uh, debut novels that the editor and maybe even the entire editorial team was just in love with, right? The whole house is behind this book. And then it didn't quite sell the way you wanted it to, not through anyone's fault at the company, but just because debut fiction is tough, man. It's tough to know what people are going to want to read. And so for me, I do want to do some fiction um, because, well, it's me and I like fiction. Um, But I'm picturing that being like one-fourth of my books to start. Because and I want it to be, I guess my main focus, and this sounds kind of maybe this sounds kind of weird, and of course everyone's going to do that, but I want to be kind of awards focused mm. with fiction. Um, fiction is for most houses is the brand builder, right? Like it's you know the books that win the big prizes. That's how you know you hear about you know a press. And so for me, um, the fiction I want to acquire is the fiction that. Has that kind of, you know, when you, you get like a director, yeah, I feel like this is an easier analog in movies, right? You get like directors who are just like Oscar hunting, you know, and they like pick the scripts and stuff that it's like, oh, he clearly just picked that one because it's just Oscar bait, you know what I or mean? Or like Leo trying to yeah, do exactly. like his entire like, adult career. Like, so, and I think it's a little less superficial in the book world because it's, you know, there's less money and it's not as celebrity driven. Yeah. Um, but, like, I want to pick books that I think can get some sort of acclaim. You know, I want to pick books that in our editorial meetings, I'm thinking, 
yeah, this one is going to move some heads, even even if it doesn't sell, because it's probably not going to sell because it's debut fiction. A lot of really talented authors don't take off till their second book, you know? Um, so for me, there's going to be a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of fiction, and then a whole lot of nonfiction by people with platforms I can point to. So um, are you saying that all of your fiction will be debut fiction, but it'll only be 25% of your list? So it's tough. Um, I don't know if it's all going to be debut fiction. I, I just, off the top of my head, it's tough to find new authors who aren't debut fiction authors. You know what I mean? Like in fiction. You can't really afford the ones that well, are most, new. I mean, honestly, most fiction authors, most, I mean, not all of them, not all of them, but most of them stay with the houses they're being published with. You know, it's like, and if, it, if it's someone you want, they definitely stay with the house you want. Like there's not like a great fiction writer. You, and this again, there's always exceptions, but there's very rarely a truly great fiction writer who has already published a debut novel, who is just out looking for a publisher, right? Like mm. if the debut novel was any good, that publisher hung on to him. So almost just by nature of the job, it has to be debut to some extent. Um, so by I guess you know the other thing for me is a lot of a lot of nonfiction from authors with platforms. I'm talking about like. Um, academics who've developed a penchant for trade writing, who have followings, you know, who are people that people that are respected in fields that are, um, you know, ha- that have written elsewhere previously. With nonfiction, it's often easier to find writers who have written for places that aren't books. You know, mm-hmm. you get a lot of writers to some of these major publications on the East Coast, and they haven't written the book yet. And it's like I picture a lot of targeting those people um, to try to find some really good upmarket serious nonfiction from someone who, again, going back to my editorial room where I'm thinking, all right, who is going to buy this because someone has to buy it because if they don't, we're out of business. The surest bet I can think of is an author platform that's passionate about the author. And that's a lot easier to find in serious nonfiction, I think. Um, And so history, trade science, you know, these kind of things. And and honestly, some of this is about me, right? Just like your book. Yeah, this is very much you. Those are the books that I know. It's like some of this has to do with, all right, what am I best at identifying? Um, And that's probably it for me. Um, I'm better at those books than I am at other stuff. So it's like, what am I going to take a chance on? I'm going to take a chance on something I feel like I know. So you're going to do 75% platform-driven, serious nonfiction. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not talking like celebs again. I'm talking like... Um, just respected people in fields who maybe haven't thought of writing a book yet. Um, that's going to be another, you know, this, and we're going to get to acquisitions in a minute, but there's going to be a lot of commissioning in my house. There's going to be a lot of reaching out to these people who maybe, because the way to get an author like that is to think of the book before they've thought of the book, you know, because once you get into a bidding war, your press and my press are not going to win bidding wars because we're small. Like, you and me are not going to win the books that Simon & Schuster wants. You know, we're not going to win the books that Penguin Random House wants because they just simply have more money, I assume, you know, according to this completely mythical game we've invented. I'm, pictur- <laughs> I'm picturing myself as a small underdog, right? Yes. And then so another – I guess the last kind of um, – there's two more bits um, to my Please. type of stuff I want to publish. One of them is the foreign rights buy. Um, Ooh, I wanna do, really? I want to do a lot of – I don't know. Like when I think of my time at Overlook and a lot of this stuff in terms of citing our sources um, – and over, Overlook's a complicated press, but um, they do a lot of things that really maximize the fact that they're tiny and publish really well. And one of those is that as an editor there, I was always buying books from UK presses um, that were finished, that were done, that all we had to do was get the files and print them, right? There was no editing. There was no um, any of this other stuff. There, I, you know, Often you didn't really have to talk to the author that much because the book is done. Um, All you have to do is like take the use out of the words and then you're good. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You do the fix for American spelling and that's it. But like a lot of those books and you can get those books for cheap. Like you can get like prize winning um, even fiction and and definitely nonfiction from presses in the UK for not that much. Not nearly as much as you would pay for that sort of book in an advance here. So it's like there's a lot of bargains to be found from, you know, Harper UK, from, um, you know, Pan Macmillan, from – um, you know, PRH UK, this, these big presses, you know, they will sell their big major UK books to little to little guys like me. And I want to be there buying them um, because it's not that much work and there's often great bargains. Um, <laughs> and then so the the fourth vision I have, and I know we're going long and I'm just, but this is, this uh, is good. This is this the is long good. episode. Because I'm a lot more US focused yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in my vision. So. Well, I, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it's not that I'm not US focused. I'm just thinking like, um, 
why not look if there's something why not there, look? you know? Um, but then the last one, and this is some, this is an idea you and I have tossed around a little bit before, um, is the, um, public domain works that have just come off copyright. I am so jealous that you <laughs> thought of that first. This is, so this is the idea that, you know, and I was doing a bunch of hunting around, um, and there's you would need you would need an editor you you would need a skilled editor for this because you would need someone who really knows copyright law and who knows what's coming off when and can kind of dig into that kind of research and find estates and that sort of thing but there are a lot of books that everybody loves that suddenly are public domain and it's like you can just make a really beautiful edition of a classic that will sell and you maybe you maybe you get someone high profile just to write you a quick new introduction to it you know and you know like for instance Diary of Anne Frank came off uh, copyright last year. Oh, wow. Did it? Yeah. Wow. And it's like that's a book that people – that deserves a reissue. You know what I mean? It's like that's From a, a lot of different people. Yeah. And it's like that's a book that a lot of people haven't there's – a, there's a new audience for that book, right? Like there, there are feasibly people who would read that that haven't read it yet that would be interested in a new edition, especially if you got someone to – Annotate um, it. To, to, yeah, exactly. All the things you can do with a classic text, right? Take someone kind of smart and high profile and just say, read this book and interact with it. Like, there's a lot to it. And you make it, you know, and we'll get into kind of packaging and stuff too, but you make it pretty, you know, you do a really good job with it, like in terms of bookmaking. And, you know, you're not paying any advance. You're not paying any royalties. You're not paying anything. That is just money. That's just straight revenue every single time. Like, there's no one to pay. It's entirely yours. Like, the books, <laughs> this is going to sound crass, and I know I'm going to come off as weird um, a few times during this show but it's better when there's no author because you don't have to because <laughs> you don't have to pay that person um, so um, I don't know but like that's another thing it's like having an editor who can find that sort of stuff um, who's always looking for okay hey we could take this and package it and make it into something and sell it and that, those are also the books that aren't beholden to seasons right like you talked you made a great point earlier that I was kind of hoping I would be the first one to make but you snagged it from me which is Publishing success is entirely based on backlist. Um, it is the most important thing. It's if you don't have that a backlist. That reprint money. Yeah, that reprint money. That stuff, that all those, you know, all the books that are just going to sell and sell and sell and sell even after you stop marketing them. And those those books are classics. You know, classic is timeless, right? Like the the people who buy my edition of The Diary of Anne Frank, which is somehow the one book I've decided I'm publishing in my life. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is bleak here. Um, but you see the what I'm saying. The Diary Press. It's like that book – that book is one that doesn't necessarily need to have all of its sales happen in the first year, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like there's – you start to build a backlist that way, I think. Um, but I, I've talked for a while. But I guess that that's kind of my yeah. – that's kind of my main – those are kind of my main thoughts in terms of, all right, what's my vision? What kind of books am I looking so, for? So I think that we – I mean we very much both approach this as like startup, not a ton of capital, yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. And from what you were saying – um, vision is great, by the way, but it seems like a lot of your savings, your cost savings and your and your editorial choices are, of course, based on quality, um, but are very focused around you saving money. And that's really interesting because I approached cutting the fat in an entirely different way. Okay. So my thought right up front, uh, no office to start with. Okay, so, all right, yeah. Let's, so yeah. people can you know work from yeah. their home. Yeah. So then I'm not spending a ton of money on that. Okay. So um, you're going. You're going. I see. I, I labored over that question. You're going officeless. I'm going. Okay. Well, at the at the beginning. Right. Sure. At the beginning. Okay. You know, once once we've got money to kick around, sure. Why yeah. not? Like, yeah. you know, if it's in the cards. But I don't think like if we're hiring, we're assuming that we can just find like people that are like our skeleton staff that's just wonderful at their jobs. Yeah. Like. They can do it from home. You work from home. I work from home. It's great. That's exactly why I'm arguing for an office (laughs) (laughs) because I am not good at working from home. Um, But anyway, continue. Okay. So no office. And one thing I'm also really going to focus on, which I think is a little bit different than what you're going to focus on, Uh is um, subrights and packaging. You know, I I really, really want to push – digital and I want to push audio and that sort of thing because Mm -hmm. those are things where you know you pay for editorial you pay for the production of the ebook and then you put it on sale and then you can sell 12 million copies and never have to print a single one the printer is the great albatross of publishing the printer kills you the printer shuts down presses the printer wrecks you 
it's the one thing that no one can seem to figure out, whether it's trying to come up with a print-on-demand model that doesn't make the books look shitty. They um, mostly look they shitty. They always look shitty. They're, it's a terrible thing. No one's figured out how to do it well. Um, and no, I, so that's good. And I, I had some thoughts on that too, but keep. I know like ebooks and audiobooks scare you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they scare me, the grandpa technocrat. Not, I understand that others like these things and that I would publish them. Like my myopic way of reading books is, is not the world's consumption of books, yeah. um, not reading. I was just making clear that I did not think that audiobooks is reading. Um, but continue. Yeah, so I, you know, I think I think I'm gonna do that. I think I'm I'm not originally gonna default to hardback. Okay. Unless you know there's a really good reason to. Um, and you know, and that that has to do with like PNL statements and like you know buzz and platform and all that jazz. Um, but I think you know, lean into the paperback a little bit. Lean in to selling subrights. Like if you get a yeah. really good film agent, if you get a really good, well, so you know, that comes down to staffing, agent, which is one yeah, of the things we're going to talk about. Yeah, that gets down to yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and then also I think um, one of my I know I'm I'm kind of jumping around no, here, please. but one of my one of my main tenets as I was, and we argued a, a little bit about this yesterday because we both had a little bit of case of the Mondays. Yeah, um, is that I fundamentally disagree with the idea that publishers and agents, and I'm totally guilty of this, and I don't like it, um, is that all of your normal work gets done during the day, and then uh -huh. all of the editing and acquisitions and reading and research uh -huh. happen after work. Sure. So I'm not a huge fan of that. So uh -huh. what, I, what I'm kind of envisioning is instead of staffing designers in-house, instead of staffing, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, copy editors, proofreaders, et cetera, in-house. Like, I want to do a lot of outsourcing. I want to do kind of what Karina Press from Harlequin is doing. I want to do... What are they what, doing? Um, so, so they have two, like, managing editors. Mm -hmm. And the managing editors are, like, really involved in the uh, acquisitions process, and they're kind of the final quality check. Oh. But they have this whole network of freelancers that work underneath them, and they're very public. Like, you can submit stuff specifically to them. Um but they don't work for the company. So then it kind of gets around you having to pay that, like, you know, they're contractors, so they're not employees, so you don't have to pay that extra, like, that that extra tax. Yeah. You don't have to do all of that. And, you know, and that way it also allows you to choose the perfect person for the perfect book. Because as somebody who has edited a lot of books, there are some books that I'm shitty at editing. Right. And there are some types of editing that I'm not great at. And yeah. I want to be able to, you know, hire somebody for, you know, one project and keep my costs down and do it that way. So that's interesting. So obviously you just said a bazillion things there. I but, did. I said lots of things. Um, and I'm going to talk about uh, sizing and staffing here in a second. But one question just quickly based on that last point you made. Um, it sounds as though you're going to be acquiring books that aren't necessarily to the taste and expertise of your editors. No, like I think for me, I want my editors to be in charge of acquisitions, and ooh. I don't want them to have to do that and do their man their project management, and then have to go home and edit the book. Well, like they, I'll have somebody else edit the book. Are they acquiring books that they wouldn't want to edit? No, I mean. Well, so to explain to me then what I don't quite get where your books are coming from that no one on your staff knows how to edit. Oh, it's not that they don't know how, it's that they're not going to. Okay. It's it's because they're going to spend more time um, making sure that the quality is appropriate and making sure that, you know, and, and some of my contractors might, like, receive a book and then, you know, they might, they might be looking at our slush pile, yeah. which we might talk about a little bit later, but they might look at that and then come to the managing editor, the one that works in-house, and say hey, this is really good, we should get this. And then the managing editor will look over it in yay or nay. And it's just it's just that they're not going to be doing a ton of editing in-house. Okay, so question with that. Yes. Um, how are you going to sell that to an author? What do you because mean? Because when I think of, and I want to get acquisitions is the largest part of this conversation that I want to get to in a minute. But when I think of that conversation as an editor that you have 
with an author that you're trying to convince to sign on with your press, um, one of the key functions is that is that you're going to be getting is that you're going to be the one editing. Like when I remember, you know, the key thing you bring to the table as an editor is this is what I think we can do with your book. This is the stuff that you know it's going to be me. Like because authors love more than you know this as an agent, authors love the feeling that they've been paid attention to, mm-hmm. that they're not being pushed aside, that they're not being put, they're not being outsourced, that, you, that they are on the phone with the person who is going to be helping them the most. And so for me, um, I kind of view the, my editors are the ones editing the book in all but some certain special cases as sort of a key facet to what we're doing because um, I don't know how that plays if you were to tell an author yeah, we'd love for you to sign with this press, and that's good for all these reasons, but someone who isn't a part of this press is going to be the one actually doing the one task you actually care about most. But they are. They're under the umbrella, and and here's here's the way, and I've sold books to presses that do, that do this. I have an author with Karina right now. Yeah. I also, in my work with a partner publisher as, as a project manager there, um, I do this to people all the time. I sell them on this all the time. And here's what it is. It's having a team. Because the managing editor isn't gone. Like you see them and then also the – the the freelance editor that were that is brought in to work on this project they're not just a name that kind of delivers feedback like they're equally involved in the editorial process so instead of just having one person you have two people yeah or three people or whatever and so you have a team and you have multiple people that that are that are there to support you yeah no I I no that makes sense um it just yeah, it just feels like a lot of cooks. It feels in your, weird to you. Well, it does feel weird to me. Um, it's it, it's a lot of cooks in your editorial kitchen in terms of who's actually working on the book, I guess. And um, I guess it's just you know I've just seen a lot of freakouts on all sorts of sides where the author finds out that his quote unquote editor isn't the one who's going to be editing the book. Like that often often ends in frustration because. A big, you know, I would say the main reason why any, especially if you're talking about debut fiction, which you are publishing a lot of, like debut novelists, the only part of publishing they've ever thought about is having an editor at a publishing house. It's the only thing that they've thought about. Um, And obviously, you know, some are more professionally oriented than others and think about other things. But like when you think of like, I'm going to write this novel and like, you know, have this dream of mine and like be at a press. The thing they think about is, oh, I'm going to work with an editor at Little Brown. I'm going to work with an editor at FSG. And it's like if I – I guess I would feel like I want to make sure I'm offering that quintessential thing. Well, it's there. It's there. It's just – you know, it what it is, is it really kind of just divides the task. So instead of the editor being like the editor, the one editor being the touch point for everything, yeah. um, instead it's going to be a lot more of a team dynamic. You know, the author is going to feel like they have their their pro like their project editor yeah. and then their, you know, their project manager who is yeah. who is overlooking everything. And so you have the person moving production along. And then you have the person in the nitty-gritty there with you in the book. Yeah. And you have an extra set of eyes. And then it also kind of feeds that team dynamic, which is really important, I think, for when sales and publicity come into play. Yeah. Because then, you know, like time and time again, and I've seen this um, as an agent a lot, you know, with the bigger houses you've only had one point of contact for the entire thing. And then all of a sudden you get thrown the name of like Danielle or like Jennifer or something. And <laughs> It is often a Jennifer. Right? Yeah. And so like all of a sudden it's this publicity person and they have huge amounts of turnover. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're like way through the process. You don't really know what's going on because you're not in control and you're not really involved. And then all of a sudden you're like, here, this person's going to be handling everything else. And I want to build – a team dynamic from the very beginning. So sure. my author is yeah. empowered yeah. to and and like knows that people are putting time in and they feel like they're not forgotten. Yeah. And you know, I I think I think that's a really big part about, you know, what we do as agents is that we're there, you know, when an author comes and calls us and say, "Ah, I just got this" or like my publicist is quitting or like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Right. They have you and you're part of the team and you're there to kind of talk them down the ledge. Yeah. So I, I really like the team dynamic. I think I think that, that that's a really good way to cut the anxiety from debut authors. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, that makes sense. No, I get the team. The team dynamic is is good. Um, that is important. I guess I've always kind of built it with people in house. You know, get the publicist involved early, that sort of thing. But like, um, no, I get what you're saying. Um, so, in terms of how how many people are you envisioning for this? Like for me, I have um, just like I'm picturing like twelve. I have like twelve people written down on my little list here. I don't have that many. Yeah. I have like four, four. or five. Wow. I mean, including me and but not including me. you've got a bunch me. of freelancers. Exactly. Um, yeah, see, I've got... That's so much savings for me right there, Eric. For you, because you're giving your books to strangers I'm to not, work. They're not strangers. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just not paying their income tax. No, I get you. I get you. Um, so I've got, yeah, a few editors, um, a couple salespeople. Um, I want a bunch of, not a bunch, but like a definitely like a little team of designers, like a big part of my strategy for like these like old, you know, awards, awards, like geared books and um, like new editions of old things. Like the book has to look good. Like this book has to be, it just has to be made well. Like, so when you talked about um, different formats and stuff. We're going to be making really nice hardcovers. You're going to have the colored here. headband we're going to and have like the really printed end sheets we're going to and have, stuff. We're going to be investing in that kind of stuff because that, I guess to me, and maybe I'm old-fashioned, um, but that stuff matters still to me. Like making a good-looking book, that counts, and it counts for a lot of things. It counts for people considering it. It makes the reading experience better, and it makes people want to be a part of the press. Like it's just the same thing. Like we're selling this brand of like – um, really polished kind of upmarket work. Um, Books you'd put in your bookshelf in your living room where strangers yeah. see. And so <laughs> I just think like, you know, having a really, having like an actual cover designer or, and who could do other things like on staff and paying attention all the time. Um, I think that's important. I would have a few publicists um, because I want I want that process started early because again my entire press is predicated on critical attention. The sooner you start, um, the better you're off. And so a couple rights people because I think the subrights stuff you're talking about is really important. But maybe one thing that like is definitely missing from my list is marketers. Mm. Um, I don't have any of those um, because some marketing is no marketing, and I don't want to pay for a lot of it. So it's like we're just going to do this all through like publicity and. Just see, I'm not going to invest in tons of publicity. Well, I'm going to focus on marketing. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, but again, like, and I keep, we keep coming back to your vision. I've got all these thoughts. Oh, please. I want to talk more about your vision. No, hold on. I'm, hold I'm on. I wanna, you just told me, you just told me that you want to publish debut fiction and you don't want to invest in publicity. Like, how are you going to get these books to catch on? Like, I'm interested. I mean, obviously you'll do your, um, you know, your marketing and you'll target it to certain places and stuff, but like. How are you getting, you know, if your idea is to break out, because the debut fiction novel, the debut fiction model is boom or bust Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I don't understand how boom happens without a publicist. So, okay. So my, we have to go back to my editorial vision. My editorial vision is to bring unexpected voices and to like make, make that, make that new kind of everyday accessible Mm -hmm. and kind of like changing the norm and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't believe that the traditional model of publicity and like taking ads out and like, you know, well, that's marketing. Taking ads out is marketing because you're buying, you're paying for that. Publicity is free. Publicity. Okay. Well, sorry. I, you know, like, yeah, I don't think that like pitching a, you know, the New York Times book review, who I I hate. I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Who is our sworn enemy. I don't think that pitching them is going to help because they're they're deep in the status quo. And like my books aren't going to hit that. So what I'm going to be focusing on is I'm going to be focusing on going directly to the reader, not to intermediaries. Like I don't I don't want to pitch and cross my fingers and hope for somebody to decide to evangelize my book. Like, I want to figure out ways. You're like, going to evangelize it yourself. I'm going to evangelize but. it myself. Like, I want to get directly to the readers. You know, I, you know, will do, like, bloggers and that sort of thing because I do, definitely do believe that, you know, it's people that, that gets puts, books sold. It puts a lot of faith in your own brand, right? I mean, yeah. that's saying that you yourself, Laura Zatz or whoever it is that's talking to the people, 
has all kinds of credibility. Like the reason publicity is good is because you get people who people trust to say the book is good, right? Like the reason you want um, someone at New York Times to say the book is good is because people trust the New York Times to, to recommend books. Like, so you would need, like, of course the publisher thinks the book is good. You know what I mean? Like it's their book. Like there's a certain, that, pub, that publicity angle, you know, with review outlets, it creates a sense of someone else is saying the book is good too. So like, um, and it works. Like I've seen it, like Oxford University Press, where I worked for a while, does a great job of marketing its own stuff straight to readers yeah. um, because the brand itself is so strong as a publisher. So to building the brand, I don't think it's necessary to have to have somebody else say that I'm great. Like I think it's enough for somebody to discover it. You know, to somebody for for somebody to discover it and say, okay, I really like this book. What else they got going on for them? Yeah. And you know, like if you make friends with bloggers and and booksellers and not just definitely booksellers you know market to them because because what it is honestly booksellers more than anybody people it's yeah i totally agree with booksellers you know it's people that get books sold it's it doesn't matter if somebody is a new york times bestseller that endorses a book like i mean it matters a little bit but it doesn't matter as much as like a thousand nobodies on goodreads being like this is the best book i've read this year see i still sure um no that makes sense I still think that the best thing that could happen for a book is a print review in the New York Times book review or in the um, New York review of books. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm going to get that. Like, I think that's a waste of my time. Sure. I mean, it's a tough thing to get. And I obviously even the presses that aim for it every time don't get it every time. But like um, for me, that's sort of critical into third party acclaim. That's important for your that's, vision. That well, it's it's important for every press. I mean, it's that's how you build a brand. I mean, you, the only way you build, and this isn't even just a publishing thing. I feel this is a thing across any business with a product. It's like the real the way you really start gaining credibility in a marketplace is when people other than you are saying you're good, you know. And so, like, I feel like there's something really important in trying to gear yourself toward making sure that somebody's talking about you. And um, I don't know. So that that would definitely be a, a premium for me. Um. Should we? I want to talk about acquisitions talk about <laughs> and submissions, yeah. which is where I think we're gonna really um, have some thoughts. Um, are you ready? Are you ready for my hit me for my for your for hot take, take? Your hot take for Eric Press <laughs> to start, and I and I say again to start. Um, you know, in my first couple of years as we get going, and again, my job is to make sure that all my employees get paid and we stay in business and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to work with any agents. That is what? <laughs> You're an agent. Well, yeah. I I mean, <laughs> of course I am. I don't I don't need to be working with any agents. Um What does that even mean? Okay, so this is why I don't want to work with agents. Um the first example is that my vision I I don't I don't think we need them because the agent's real role for a publisher um, the, it's two things. It's explain this shit to your author so that I don't have to. <laughs> and true. The second, and the second, very true. And the, <laughs> and the second part um, is find me authors. Like the reason a publisher likes having a relationship with an agent on the publisher end. We're going to talk about the agent's end here in a second, and or the author's end in a second, because the agent isn't an end. The agent is an intermediary. Um, the reason a publisher likes having agents around. In theory, I didn't ever when I was a <laughs> publisher um, or an editor. I was not. I'm getting a lot publisher. of insight into your psyche um, and your career choices right now. Well, I'm just saying that, well, I've become the thing I hate. What does that say? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but you want the publisher around because their job is to curate things submitted to you. They are the ones who know what you want and are out there looking for it. And when they find it, they hand it to you. Like, the reason publishers like knowing agents is because an agent can then learn what the publisher wants, and then when they find something that fits, they can say, hey, I found this thing that's perfect for you. I want editors – that is not a task that only agents know how to do. I want editors who can go find those people themselves. Like all that work about like finding authors and commissioning projects and getting in touch with writers and all this stuff that – all this legwork that you and I do as agents all the time – and I really love that. That legwork is the crux of my job. It's the thing I love most. But it's like I want editors who are going to do that. Why do I need this third party to go tell me that 
you know, to go find these people when I can just have my people do it themselves. And the reason it's advantageous to do it that way is because then I don't have to pay the damn advance as high as that agent's going to make me pay. You're going to have advances? We're going to have advances. All right. We're going to have plenty of advances. But there's no question that having an agent involved skyrockets that price, not only at the advance stage, but and like, the terms and but like at everything else, like they they're the ones who are constantly demanding, you know, certain things happen that you you know the agent is a really good thing in a lot of for a, for a lot of presses. But like I am out here fighting for my meals, right? And so what I don't need is um, this person who's demanding we spend more at every turn. So when you say that you're not going to work with agents, uh-huh. you don't. I, it's not you a, mean okay, you okay, mean that quick. you're not going to rely on agents to find you books, right? Are you going to negotiate with authors? Yes, sure. Like okay, sure. so so is so because very much like as an agent, like I see my job is like doing contracts and that sort of thing, and like right. finding so, a book a home. So that's the other end of so it. So you right. will do contracts. You will do contract yeah, negotiation. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. There's no, there's no. I mean, you can't not negotiate a contract. I mean, it's. I mean, you could say it's this or nothing. Sure, and but you could also say something close to that that feels sounds a lot friendlier. I mean, (laughs) no, I mean, I'm serious, though. Like, I feel like a lot of authors, especially if they're authors who are signing with me and I'm a small press, um, they're not they don't need a giant advance right away because most of my authors don't have book deals yet. It's like I don't need to like this is what kills. This is what kills presses when they start. It's over investing. It's paying. It's honestly it's paying too much in advances and not having those books sell. I don't want to pay those advances. And this is the thing that I think people forget when it comes to their advance payment is that isn't how much money the author makes, period. Like, an advance is an advance. It's an advance of royalties. Like, I'm going to pay royalties. I'm going to pay a fair royalty rate. I just don't want to pay it all up front because one of us is going to get That'll burned. cripple you. Like, yeah, your capital. No, without, yeah. With, an, with an agent not involved, there is no reason really – that an, unless it's like a nonfiction project that the author has to go do a bunch of research for, like there's very little reason for why an author wouldn't accept terms that just say we're going to give you a really good royalty rate. We're just going to pay it to you in the books sell. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going like, to have very few advances, if any. Well, so but that's when. I, but so you don't get. So let me t- let me push you on that though, because you act what I what like what I just said. This age, you know, I don't want to work with agents. You're not going to get away with that if you're if you're if you're if you're saying I'm going to work with agents all the time and also I'm going to pay no advances that that no way. Like I've sold books to presses that do that. Sure, a few, but you can't make a policy out of. Well, there's selling, it's not going to be like, a policy, but mostly we're not. I mean, like I'm I'm seeing very much like my royalties aren't quite as like high as a Kashik, for example, who's a fifty fifty royalty split. Um, but like higher than normal because yeah. I want to I want my debut authors to see this house as an investment the sure. same way that we see them as an investment. Well, so do I. And the way I'm going to do that is with a favorable favorable royalty rate with a well-made book with a book that has the attention of multiple publicists who can get it to the outlet. You know, the other thing the other thing an author dreams of after getting their book edited by the person in-house is getting a review somewhere they care about. Like those are the two things that every author cares about most and it's like um, those are the things I want to focus on. So when we talk about bringing authors back, that's that's kind of key for me. Um, the other thing in terms of acquisitions, and this probably fits kind of into the editorial vision bit of this as well, is I want to do a lot of series. Interesting. I want to do a lot of um, series in, especially. I'm not really into it in terms of fiction. I know that's but you, like Eric Press branded nonfiction yeah, like series that, because that not only builds your own brand, but it also it just creates recurring books. And this is the other, you know, for a short staff place like me, it gives you a series editor who is out acquiring for you. Like you get, you take some high profile dude who you have write one of the books and they say, guess what? You're the series editor of this series. And then that person goes out and finds like four more books for his series. And he takes kind of this like ownership role of it. Well, in the meantime, you're getting all these extra books that are not only good, but kind of fit within this brand. And in terms of a backlist, every time you publish, you can start packaging you know, the books that are years old with the new books. And it's like, so a series, especially... So the shelf life is The a shelf lot life increases for every single one of these books in a series. Like a series, a successful series is, is a lifeblood of a publisher. So it's like, I want to do that not only because it works in terms of sales, but in terms of um, 
just time in the day. You talk a lot about, um, you know, editor's time. And what great way to, you know, help that is to have some independent person who is considered a quote unquote series editor out there finding books for you as well. And so I definitely, I definitely want to do a lot of that. I'm doing lots um, of fiction series. Okay. I mean, um, not like as a, like an, as an exclusive, but yeah, sure. totally. Like the thing with fiction series for me, and this is specifically for me as an individual, I'm just not good at them because now I've never like, I don't, none of the books, I, I don't read fiction series. I don't know anything about them. So it's like a big, you know, I have this belief that I would hire people and if they thought they could do something, they would do it. But if it was me, I would not be doing fiction series. I don't know anything. I don't have an ear for it. I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, but the series helps both your front list and the back list because it resells the old books and it keeps giving you new books. Yeah. Um, so that would be another thing in terms of like the people I'd be targeting is I want people who um, who are, have more than one book in them. You know, like you talk about debut fiction. I love. I I honestly would love debut fiction. Building. I just want to be specific about it. I want to do that the career building stuff. And it's like when I think of what an author wants, what's going to make them come back is it's going to be who's is how quality was the editorial work, how well reviewed was the book, how supported did they feel, how supported did they feel, and how well how good did the book look at the end. You lose a lot of authors just based on the final product being shitty. Like you mailed, I hate the cover. I'm yeah, never publishing yeah, yeah, yeah. with you they, again. Yeah, exactly. They hate the cover. They hate the typesetting. They hate that stuff. And it's like when that's a fight, you lose people. And so it's like I want those author-facing things, those people-facing things to be really strong. And I don't really necessarily care that much about stuff kind of in between. But um, I don't know. It also – I mean the option clause is my best friend here because oh, hell the, yeah. this is how hell we're getting yeah. like book number two and book number three from these people for the same low price that we got book number one for. And, um, you know, eventually – you know, this is – all this stuff I'm kind of talking about, all these like cost-saving um, devices, it's for the first little bit. Like if we get some money, we want – we'll, you know, we'll pay for the books that deserve paying for it. We'll even do bit. that. But like – when I'm thinking about, all right, I've got 12 people here who are living in Manhattan and need jobs. Oh, whoa, whoa. And You're in New York City? Well, yeah, we're in New York City. Um, <laughs> I, I actually didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even think about that. I guess I could be somewhere other than New York I'm City. I'm definitely not in New York yeah. City. I mean, if like, um, my, but we don't have an office. We have an office. Uh, um, that's one thing I want to make See, that quick. is so um, much money, having an office yeah, but in New York City. So, okay, well, maybe we'll be somewhere else then, fine. But maybe I, New Jersey. But... <laughs> Connecticut. We are not in New Jersey. What about Connecticut? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, but I want an office because I think that, one, because I am a piece of shit when I work from home every day, and two... You're not, though. You think that you're way you worse than you are. You want people who... Um, you want those like, in-person conversations to happen. If you talk about like people feeling like happy and good about their jobs, a big part of that is like having other people around and... Says the man who left an office job in New York to work I didn't, from home. I didn't leave it because there were people around. <laughs> um, it's yeah. No, I I think the office is is key to a lot of the creative conversations that that people in publishing have. Um, but so there's there's one other thing. I guess there's a couple other things, but one other thing I definitely want to have. Um, this is maybe a little. This is de- well, it's definitely further down the line. But these are two like kind of all right. Like what's the what are the less normal ideas you could have? And they kind of fit with my vision of recruiting authors before they've thought to write the book themselves, which is the key. That is the number one thing in my press. Which is, is something you do as an agent. Yeah, exactly. It's you find the people to write the books before they know they want to write the books. That's how you find off. That's how you punch above your weight class as a small press is you find authors who – as soon as they start querying, will get snapped up by a big-time agency and a big-time publisher. The way you get those people to come to your small press is you are the one who tells them to write the book. You commission. Commissioning is a lot of work, but it's also an incredible cost saver, and it's an incredible way to get books that um, that you wouldn't get otherwise just in the pure marketplace. Like if a book is good enough to be – and even close to a bestseller, some giant press is going to snatch it up. And so I did a lot of thinking about, all right, well, what are the best ways to commission? How can I get authors? And the first one I thought of um, was sort of the Tin House thing where they've got they've got a magazine, right? They've got a literary magazine. And it's like a great way to recruit 
like for instance, fiction writers who aren't yet ready to write their piece of fiction, you know, their big novel is to say, hey, well, you know, publish your story with us, you know, have, you know, come love us, come be a part of this prestigious literary magazine that we have that we can then pluck you from when it's time to, it's like a farm system almost like in terms of like, you want a lit mag? yeah, I want a lit mag because the lit mag gives me access in um, relationships with a bunch of authors I think are already good who may not be ready to write the novel yet. And if you can get those roots in before they're ready to write the novel, then you have a better chance of signing them when they're ready to write the blockbuster, you know? Um, and then the other thing is uh, sort of it's a it's the Grey Wolf thing, which is a prize. Mm. You know, like having a – you know, they've got like a nonfiction prize, I think. Um, and it's like, again, it's a great way – you know, they do this prize. I think – which one of their big authors was it? Was it I, don't quote me on this, but was it Leslie Jameson? Who, I should know, but I don't. I know. I, I'm going to be I have an author with Grey Wolf, and I'm I gonna, I'll issue a correction tomorrow. But one of their giant authors won their nonfiction, but they just submitted to this thing, and they published that. The prize is that they published the book. That's and, tight. And it's like they that's how they found this person. It's like a prize gets people to show up, even if they're not yet ready to talk to you as a, as a book publisher. It's like so I want to get I want to get to the writers before they become book writers. That's a big part of this because then when they're book writers, they're already with us and I can get them for the discount, you know? So I have a question yeah. for you. And this yeah. is this is something that we've slightly touched on but haven't there. So sure. you're going to be doing a lot of commissioning. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to have a slush pile? Are you going to be open to just like randos yeah. trying to come absolutely. in the door? Absolutely. You're, like open all the time? Yeah, absolutely. How come? How come? I mean, because something might be good in there. It's not hard to turn down submissions that aren't good. You can do that in 30 seconds. Takes a while. Sure. That's why you have editorial assistants. Oh. <laughs> uh, I got a couple I, assistants. I, I thought about this, and, you know, I, I too, like the, the savings discount of being open to yeah. non-agented authors, yeah. to people who haven't quite got that got that other people, like, tipping their hats at them saying, you're really good. Yeah. Um, but I also, because I am keeping my structure very satellite-oriented, you know, where you've got all the people working for you, uh-huh. um, but but not as an employee, I, I want to keep it a little bit manageable because, mm-hmm. um, as you and I both know, slush piles get out of hand very quickly. So I want to open twice a year for a period of one or two months. Sure. So that way, you know, it, it lets people go through at a, an untimely period. Um, but that way, you know, you're kind of finding that, but you're also, you're also um, really focused on letting other people do the hard work for you. Sure. So the thing with the slush pile, there's no leverage with it. I can respond to the slush pile whenever I damn well please. You know, like I don't, like when someone sends submissions, to me, the publishing house, you know, and with an agent, to be clear, like with an agency, you have like a listed time of response, right? Um, we'll tell you within four to six weeks or whatever, though, whether or not we want to hear more from you. Um, but like often with publishers, it's like they just don't respond if they don't. Well, want it's, it. it's not that they don't respond. It's that they respond when they're damn well ready. And so I don't really view that as a giant obstruction to any of my employees time because they're just going to do it as they're capable. And, you know, you mentioned earlier. Um, that you don't like the model of editors going home and having to work in the evenings. And I wonder if that's I wonder if that's a little bit misplaced because to me, what frustrates editors is not that they have to go home and ed- and edit. It's that they spent all this time doing bullshit throughout the day. It's a bunch of unnecessary meetings. It's a bunch of um, just garbage communication. It's a bunch of things that don't really, you know, that could be handled by other people. And so for me, the way to make that not suck is competent assistant level people, which is so crucial. Like, um, I don't even say that like dismissively, like a good editorial assistant keeps a publishing house alive. Honestly, it does. He or she does (laughs) it. Um, This creature (laughs) we're raising. Um, but (laughs) But like, I don't know, it's, and then, you know, just getting them out of just stupid communications and having people who can handle things for them. And then, you know, offering, you know, you know, you can have an edit day every now and then. Like you can work from home some days. That's but the like, reason I, I wanna I wanna push the team aspect. Yeah, no, I get that. But it's it's to me, 
you want those people you want those people on the staff you want them part of the brand like i feel like the thing that really makes a publishing house great or not is how good's your editorial team when it comes to and i guess that's that's the thing at the end for me it's how good are your editors and i want i will you know cut off an arm to have editors who are going to edit who are going to commission who are going to do those things and my entire structure is going to be around making their lives as easy as possible while they do a ton of work. And so I guess, I don't know, is there anything else you wanted to say? No, I think I think that's that's everything. I think, you know, I think your press sounds great. Yeah, no, I think I think um, I think these are good ideas. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, the one thing I don't, you know, just looking back, the thing I don't have an answer to. And maybe I—I I mean, you—you you touched on it, but really, none of publishing quite has an answer to is printing. Yeah, it's like I'm—you know—these are expensive books I'm making. It's printing is a tough thing to do. It hamstrings you. It makes you—you know—you can overprint. You can do all sorts of things that kind of wreck you. And so, like when I think about the inefficiencies of what I'm doing, that kind of—that st- kind of stands out to me. Yeah. Um, just because printing is an inefficiency for everyone. It's an inefficient task, and um, you know, you can go digital, but then you. You know, then you lose out on the the beautiful hardcover that I'm trying to make. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think my answer to that is just really. I think I think my press more so than your press is very very dependent on technology in the new age. Sure. So I, you know, and I don't exactly know what this will look like, but you know, I'm kind of envisioning, um, you know, not just audio and not just ebook, but I'm envisioning. You know, I, I'm really inspired by picture books having yeah. interactive yeah. ebooks, yeah. and I'm really inspired by things that libraries are doing yeah. now, where they're they're putting audiobooks and ebooks on the cloud, and then people, you know, can just get them from there. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. really I'm really inspired by that kind of innovation. And m- to be honest, most of the innovation in publishing is coming from retailers. Yeah, and so I think I think as a press, what I want to do is I want to be open to that. You know, I, I'm, I'm really inspired also by, you know, locally we have Hazelden, which mm-hmm. is Hazelden Betty Ford, which is mm-hmm. a recovery center, but also they have, they have a press angle and they have, they did something really exciting a few years ago where they created an app and the app was not just, you know, access to the books, but the app was very much, um, because it's a recovery based yeah. publisher, the app was very much, feeding into helping you with your recovery and then my content is a way to do this partially but they've also partnered with other ideas and other people and they're they're kind of taking the content beyond that you've got a serious tech investment um and it's less of an investment of like my own ip yeah but more of just like willing to adapt to other models and things like that and that's that's interesting um and I, you know, I'm obviously, you know, I've emphasized things that aren't that, but I'm certainly in no way resistant to any of those things. For me, you know, publishing is a story of a lot of things. You know, it's all old things, <laughs> but some of those old things are still true and some of those things are not true. And to me, the things that are still true and the things that can be emphasized at the expense of all else are how good does your book look? How attentive does your author feel he's been, you know, paid attention to? And... Are people talking about it in high places? Yeah, and it's like if I if you make your model those three things, um, in terms of like building who you are and your identity as a press, that would kind of be where I would start. Yeah, I'm. You know, I I think about ways that my press is going to distinguish itself from other small presses or even yeah. even the big ones, and I think, you know, I think non traditional is in, in innovation yeah. are really big keywords yeah. for me. You know, like as far as book events and promotion and marketing, like I want I want something to to do more than just, you know, have some bookmarks. You know, I, I want sure. I yeah. want <laughs> you know what <laughs> we I mean. We didn't even talk about that kind of shit doesn't even cross yeah, no, I totally and wholeheartedly agree yeah, with that. I want kind of stuff I want stupid. like yeah. I don't want an author just to do readings. Like yeah. I, you know, I have an author um, she's a middle grade author. She's with a really she's with a small press. She has background in improv comedy, and so she writes she writes middle yeah. grade. And so when yeah. she does school visits, she yeah. does like this interactive program, yeah. which is really exciting. It's the stuff between the books. It's, the, it's the stuff, stuff between the books. books. And like so, that's really great. And for me, 
I guess that's kind of, you know, my hypothetical, like, publication in between. It's like this is how you get your authors out there in between the books, you know, because that's so key in terms of platform building. But are we done? I are think, we, are I we, think set? we are. I think, um, you know, I would love to hear from our listeners what they think and yeah, who they no would like to in. publish yeah. with. Yeah, yeah um, definitely tell me what trash I am. I'm ready for it. Like, <laughs> please, please come at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. I would really. I, I would really love to keep this conversation going as we talk about and tackle new things yeah. in publishing. Yeah. Um, I think. I think the idea of public domain watch will be something that we should probably yeah, we touch should on do. next week. We should do that more because I really do think there are excellent things that so people don't watch out about. for that. And we will see you next week. 